Radiolab is supported by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> You're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. This is Radio Lab. As you may know, I have been uh, working on a series about Dolly Parton. It's called Dolly Parton's America, uh, which you can hear uh, if you go to dollypartonsamerica.com or you go to iTunes or all the other places and search for Dolly Parton's America. And the whole thing uh, is kind of an attempt to look at who we are as a country through the lens of this one singer-songwriter. But... So everybody just find a partner. While I was working on that... And if you don't know them, that's fine. You can just walk up to somebody and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so. Will you dance with me? Our reporter Tracy Hunt was stumbling into a similar set of questions about America and Americanness. But if anybody needs a partner, just raise your hand and then look around for other hands that are up. In her case, it was through a dance. Join hands and circle left. Back to the right, don't take all night. A little while ago, Tracy and I threw a dance party over at a place called the Bell House. That's in Brooklyn. We had a live band. Oh, the way back, left hand star. We had a caller named Alex Kramer. We swung our partners you around. Swing mine and I'll swing yours. We dosy doed. We dove for the clam. I'll swing mine, you swing yours. We might have even shot through the hole in the old tin can. Join hands in that pretty little ring. One couple make an arch. Duck for the oyster. There were about a hundred of us there that night, learning the very American art. Of, of square dancing. But, 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 you might be asking, why, why would we do this? Why would Radiolab do a square dancing event in Brooklyn in 2019? Well, it's Tracy's fault. Why can't I hear anything? Oh, ha! It's not plugged in! Oh. It all goes back. I need to find a freaking um. adapter. Oh, here's, here we are. To a conversation Tracy and I had in the studio before we ever got up on stage together. Okay. Um, so, square dancing. Lay it on me. A, a, a dance that I should say before I started reporting this story. I'd never seen. I kind of knew about it. Saw it in the musical Oklahoma. It was inflicted on me in, uh, in uh, grade school. I know. It's yeah, but I think that's just an inheritance from growing up in the South. Well, well, actually, no. It's not just a Southern thing. Besides the fact that it somehow missed me in Miami, it was taught in pretty much every other school in the country. 
Huh. Quick scan of the audience. How many of you had to do square dancing in school? That's something that we actually confirmed later at the event. Oh my God, so many of you. <laughs> wow, most of the audience. I feel like that was most of the audience. But um, the thing is, it doesn't just stop at schools. Square dancing is a state dance, or the state folk dance, in about 30 states. 30! Alabama, California, Idaho, Maryland, Oklahoma, Texas, Washington, and on and on and on. And on top of that, it's been pushed in front of Congress on two separate occasions where people fought to make it the National Folk Dance of America, elevating it right up there with the bald eagle. By the way, that's a red-tailed hawk because eagles do not sound as cool as we think they do. <laughs> and, you know, square dancing isn't exactly what we thought it was either. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, it, it didn't really kind of mesh with my idea of America exactly. But when I started digging and I went super deep, I gotta say it kind of messed with some of my ideas of my America and your America and our America. Mm. Okay. So, just to uh, get things started off, I'm going to take you back to the 1890s or 1890-ish. In the late 1800s, there were many immigrants coming to this country from Southern and Eastern Europe. According to folk dance scholar Phil Jameson, at that time, a new wave of immigrants were coming to America. Italians and Slavs and Polish people and Jewish people. And they were seen as very different from the earlier waves of English and Irish and German immigrants. And the old stock Americans sort of pushed back against these immigrants and said, wait a minute, we are the real Americans. Our ancestors were here first. And, you know, think of 1890 is when the Daughters of the American Revolution was founded. We were a generation past the Emancipation Proclamation and the Trail of Tears. And in 1892, the Pledge of Allegiance was put into our public schools. And so, Bill says around this time, there was a national conversation bubbling up about who we as Americans are. Like when we say us, who is us? Well, according to Phil... One answer to that question came from a music scholar. An English ballad collector named Cecil Sharp who came to the Southern Mountains. From about 1916 to 1918, he went all around the Appalachian Mountains in the southern U.S., visiting families, sitting on front porches, and asking people to sing. and was astounded that people were still singing old British ballads that had long since died out in England. They were singing about Barbara Allen, and they were singing about lords and ladies and milk white steeds and bloody daggers and all that. Now, this was interesting to him because Sharp's idea, and he wasn't alone in this, is that the people living in southern Appalachia, the white people living there... These people had been isolated here in the mountains for generations and were therefore the keepers of the purest Anglo-Saxon heritage in America. And when he was in eastern Kentucky, he came across that pure heritage and dance form. He came across some people doing a square dance that was it was a demonstration for him. And the thing about this uh, dance that he was seeing, it had some elements of French dances. French cotillions and quadrilles. Where six couples would be in some sort of formation, holding hands, moving in a circle, but also parts of it that looked like old Scots-Irish and English country dances. 
where couples would link arms and skip around each other, then make arches for other couples to duck through. So all these different moves were coming together in this one dance he was seeing happening right in front of him. And he just made this assumption that these were Anglo-Saxon people and this is the folk dance of our ancestors. Now, obviously, there were a lot of different kinds of people living in those mountains that he was ignoring. But despite that, or maybe more like because of it, this idea that square dancing was quintessentially American just took off. And shortly after that is when they started teaching folk dances in schools. So the first place I heard any of this was this tweet thread that was very tantalizing. It sort of pegged Henry Ford as the mastermind behind this white supremacist plot oh, to book okay. square dancing in all the schools in order to, like, save white children from jazz or something. I see. So this is an attempt at whitewashing. Basically, yes. Got it. Now, first of all, Henry Ford was an anti-Semite and for some reason thought Jews invented jazz and hated jazz. And he tried to promote dances from, quote, northern peoples. But Henry Ford had nothing to do with teaching square dancing in physical education classes. That part of the tweet thread isn't quite true. But the whitewashing part isn't exactly wrong. It was actually one dance educator in Michigan. Grace Ryan in Michigan. Who started teaching the square dance as a way to assimilate the children of European immigrants to be true Americans. More teachers picked it up. She wrote some books. That kind of popularized it around the country among teachers. And before you know it, bam, square dancing in schools. From Tuscumbia, Missouri, and they call themselves the Lake of Ozark Square Dance. And then the dance started to spread. Y'all set? All right. People were dancing in community halls and public squares and churches and barns. By the 30s, square dancing is all over the radio. Hey, hey, As TVs start popping up in American homes. Square dance is too. You know, you could just go to YouTube and like Google lucky strike square dancing and you see this like really weird commercial where there's actually like cigarettes doing the square dance by the 40s and 50s it's huge the square dancing craze sweeping across the nation keeps on growing in new york in a big way square dancing clubs start forming all over the place out west it starts to get a little yeehaw with men in cowboy shirts and boots and women in big fluffy skirts it's so beautiful. in 1951 they form a national organization that puts on this national square dancing convention where tens of thousands of people gather from all over the country and square dance together. Square dancing is part of the heritage of the United States, uh, born uh, with the very birth of the country. And then... The square dancers of America want something from Congress. They want their dancing, square dancing, officially named the National Folk Dance of the United States. These groups went to Congress to say that square dancing should be the American dance. Square dance is indeed uniquely American. It's American-American. And actually, it was officially the National Folk Dance from 1982 to 1983. So I really wanted to talk to the people who were part of this effort, but a lot of them are dead. You mean, oh, so this is an old movement? This is an old movement. But... This is Leslie. I did manage to find... The congressman who introduced some of these bills. Sorry, here he comes. Okay. His name is 
Hello, Leon Panetta. Hey, how are you, Tracy? Uh, former Secretary of Defense and former Director of the CIA, Leon Panetta. The Leon Panetta? The, the, the Clinton Leon Panetta? The Clinton Leon Panetta, former White House Chief of Staff. I think this is a moment for a strong, steady hand. Usually these days he's on CNN answering hard questions about drones. Responsibility of the intelligence community. National security. It has to be comprehensive. It has so I think he was a little surprised when I called him up and said, you know, hey, you want to talk about square dancing? Well, it came out of it came out of nowhere. I brought back. <laughs> he introduced the bill about square dancing. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, I, I actually did folk dancing when I was in uh, grammar school, and uh, enjoyed it then, and uh, always uh, kind of kept track of. Uh, back in the 1980s, he was a congressman out of California, and there was a couple that uh, were involved in folk dancing. George and Ann Holzer, I believe, were their names. Mm -hmm. And He had um, uh, some square dancers who were very supportive of his campaigns, so it was very much a politically kind of, like, uh, favorish type of thing. uh, They came to me uh, with the idea. But he was actually pretty kind of passionate about it when I was talking to him. Oh, yeah. I thought it made sense to try to establish and recognize it as uh, the national folk dance. Well, on the face of it, all that sounds harmless enough. But but wait a minute. There was this the kind of immediate and very muscular opposition to this bill. This House subcommittee today suddenly discovered that about the only people who would be happy to commemorate square dancing are square dancers. One by one, dance historians, folklorists, got in front of the mic and said, you gotta be kidding me. To make folk dancing a national dance, to me, would be a slap in the face to other arts. This makes absolutely no sense. This is a nation of immigrants. The United States is a country filled with a lot of different kinds of people from a lot of different parts of the world. To single out a dance that represents even a very small fraction of British origin immigrants would be insulting to every other cultural group in this country. Everyone was like, Square dancing? Seriously? What about hula? Isn't that a folk dance? What about tap? Or for that matter, break dancing as an expression of urban folk culture. Not to mention the people who were here first. Native Americans who have their own dance traditions. Um, you know, one bit of testimony that actually stuck with me was from the 1988 hearing. Um, it was a woman named Raina Green. She was at one time the head of the American Folklore Society, and she is a member of the Cherokee Nation. And she said, my grandmother has only ever done the square dance in schools. Um, that's the only place she ever did it. Um, and at the same time, she was forbidden from doing her own tribal dances. And so to come and say that square dancing is now the national folk dance would be to dishonor her and dishonor all our ancestors. And even uh, just to put a finer point on it, I mean, you take something like the massacre at Wounded Knee. I mean, that was the culmination of a series of events that I think began with a dance. Wow. Uh, so it wasn't simply that they were being forgotten. I think they were being they were being very violently suppressed at times. So the dance the dance has the question of what dance you do is is not always it's it's sometimes violent. You know. Yeah. So I'm curious about like what would be your reaction to to that argument. Well, I I, I mean I I certainly appreciate uh, Indian tradition and what happened to uh, the Indians throughout history. That uh, there's there's no question how abused they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, it's important to recognize some of the things that make 
United States what it is today. So I, I always remember de Tocqueville's comments uh, when he came to this country and went to the frontier, and by the way, saw people folk dancing at that time. <laughs> but he, he mentioned something that I think is particularly important. He said the difference about America is that in, in those small communities uh, throughout the West, people care for one another. They have a sense of community. Yeah, I, I don't think that that was, when the Tocqueville was here and he was looking at the West, I don't think that that was much of a time of togetherness. I mean, plenty of Indian tribes are being driven no, off their tough. land. It was tough. I get, I, you know, I, I don't want to like, Start, you know, start a whole thing. But I guess it's just I'm, I'm kind of don't want to have like a romanticized view of that time period. No, I, I, uh, I don't think we have to have a romanticized view. I mean, uh, the fact remains that all of us in our communities do recognize the importance of helping one another, and that isn't romanticizing a damn thing. And um, I just think at some point uh, it would be a nice uh, gesture to all of those that enjoy that to make clear that the United States recognizes the square dance is particularly unique to the history and to the culture of America. Well, I I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. That was a, I wish that there was a slightly more satisfying response there. (laughs) I feel like you guys were not having the same conversation or something. That was like... Yeah, to say the least. And it made me realize that you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking to a politician. I should be talking to square dancers. And so I made some phone calls. Oh, are you Linda? I'm Linda. Ah! I traveled to the heartland of America. And... Square dancers hug. Okay, all right. That's called a yellow rock. What I found out about square dancing was actually really surprising. Like what? Well, you're going to have to wait till after the break. Oh, well then. Radio Lab will continue in a moment. This is Alicia Bridges calling from Saskatoon in Saskatchewan. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by Cozy Earth. When you think about summer comfort, words like breezy or soft maybe come to mind. With Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, you'll get the comfort of home wherever you roam, allowing you to elevate your summer getaway no matter where or even if 
you're getting away. Cozy Earth bedding is temperature regulating and made from top-notch materials, including viscose from bamboo that can turn any living or sleeping space into a sanctuary of luxury and comfort. Their loungewear and pajamas offer you their signature level of comfort while maintaining an elegant fit so you can look cute and be comfy even if you're taking a long flight or car trip. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for Radiolab listeners. Get 35% off site-wide when you use the code Radiolab at www.cozyearth.com. That's 35% off at CozyEarth.com, code Radiolab. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. I'm Jad. This is Radiolab. We are back from break with producer Tracy Hunt doing the dance of the square where we haven't actually done the dance yet. That's coming. Uh, Where we'd left off so far, uh, we'd seen what happened when uh, a bunch of square dance uh, evangelists took their cause to Congress, pushed for square dance to be the American folk dance. People pushed back against that, claiming actually no, the square dance leaves people out. It actually represents something truly painful in our country's past. That's where we left off. Yeah, but that was in the 80s, more than 30 years ago. And I wanted to see what was going on with square dancing today. And I was making a bunch of calls, and I eventually talked to this one woman named Linda Peterson. She was part of the effort to make square dancing the state folk dance for the state of Maryland. And she invited me to the National Square Dancing Convention. All right, I'm in the lobby of the downtown Marriott in Kansas City, Missouri, in this huge convention center. Uh, People were just arriving. They had their suitcases. You can see, like, they were bringing in these costume racks, I guess, filled with big, huge skirts, Western shirts, cowboy boots, lots of glitter, lots of crinoline. And and anyway, Linda and I had planned to meet in the lobby of this hotel. So hopefully she will notice that I'm the person with the big, fuzzy microphone, also the black one. (laughs) I will say that I did find black square dancers there. You did? Um, I counted while I was there um, about um, 11. Out of how many? Uh, About 3,000. Oh, wow. So Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess one in 300. (laughs) That's a a ratio. Yeah. But um, eventually. Oh, are you Linda? I'm Linda. Linda spotted me. I'm good. Square dancer's hug. Okay, all right. And then she just takes me around, and she just starts... This is Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Introducing me to everybody. Hi, glad to meet you. Hi, Tracy. In the square dance world. Each person was just friendlier than the last. There was an opening ceremony, Heavenly Father, we gather this day. some speeches, a prayer, delight and happiness and fun. Eventually, we did finally get to see some dancing, and it sounds like this. Walk all around your corner, girl, seats all around your own. Show hands, circle to the left, wow. And there's these super complicated calls, and instead of a traditional fiddle band with a banjo and so on, they're actually playing 80s pop hits. Wow. And this is actually common. Um, I talked to this one caller who was like, yeah, I use J-Lo sometimes. <laughs> and really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually walked into one room where they were using Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Um, 
Um, so they, they really do use like just all kinds of music. And, you know, it was just a long ways off from like, you know, Oklahoma style Western frontier version of square dancing that I had in my head. And when I started going around talking to people... Uh, New York Public Radio, so this is just my mic and I'm recording, just to let you know. <laughs> That's a microphone. It is a microphone. It was also pretty clear that this push to make it the national folk dance was kind of waning. So, so after a while, I think the square dance folks decided, you know what, let's let it... Let's not stir up trouble. Let's let's keep a positive attitude and image for our activity. Uh, this is Roy. I talked to him and his wife, Betsy Gata. Right. Um, Betsy Gata is kind of a big deal in the square dancing world. Um, anyway, they made it sound like they had heard the backlash and sort of in some way kind of got the point. We, we were talking about that, and, and, and there, there were times when the, when the square dance activity... Um, to be perfectly honest, for a long time, it was a white activity. I think that that does make, you know, someone like me, who I'm, you know, I'm a black person, so you can probably right. tell, go, huh? <laughs> like, you know, why is, you know, why is this activity that's, you know, seemingly for and by and created by white people, why does that have to be the, the national American dance, you know? And it, and it kind of does feel like a little, like you're, you know, I'm being excluded or I'm being told that, you know, that this is what it means to be an American. Is, and, yeah. and, and a lot of people in our activity took heed of that and said, yeah, you know, they, they, there's a valid point. But we still kind of felt that it was the one dance form that... Um, hopefully transcended all of that because it is all-inclusive. All Granted, it wasn't. But then again, America wasn't an inclusive society. Yeah. And what we, we kind of wanted to do was bring everybody in. Yeah. That, yeah. Was a, that was our strategy. We wanted to set the hook and reel everybody into the group. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what sort of came out for me over time was that for them, you know, being the national dance, it wasn't so much like trying to make this like piece of white culture, like enshrine it into, you know, some sort of national symbol. It was more about good marketing, you know. <laughs> you know, to make square dancing better, to get more people and keep them. Numbers are declining. Um, yeah. And so... Um, because Interesting. So this, for their idea was this is a way to... Uh, so the, it's not about let's whitewash America, or maybe it was, but they, that wasn't the sort of spoken idea. It was more like let's not die. Yeah. And, and, and while I was there, they really made a point about how square dancing is really, really just open and inclusive. What makes it unique to us? This is Dana Shermer. He's, he was the president of Caller Lab. That's the group that trains all the callers. And he's also the guy who said he uses J-Lo sometimes. I think there's, when you hear the music, and the first time you step in there and touch hands, the magic just goes right through your hands. You can just feel the, the warmth and the friendliness of all the people in the group with you. Like you come into the square... And you don't care who they are, where they came from, or what happens. Nobody knows anything about anybody else. But you all have to work together. You know, you're in the group, and you're going to have fun. Yeah. And I don't look, I, I'm an accountant. I don't go out there looking for accountants. <laughs> I go out there and get in the square, and what do you do? I'm a farmer, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, you know. It doesn't matter. We have all kinds of people, and we're all going to dance together. Yeah. It's a teamwork. You're doing something together as a team. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, a, like an equalizer. Yeah, also. we're all together. This is something that I heard over and over and over again, that square dancing welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't worry about sexual orientation. You don't worry about color. Yeah. You don't worry about where they're from. 
All you worry about is can they square dance? Can they help me have a good time square dancing? That's that's all that matters. So now I I can remember when we were we the square dance world were making some strides in opening out in 1965, which was the year of Martin Luther King's march from Selma to Montgomery. The national convention was in Dallas, Texas, and I was there and. The country in the South was scary enough. We drove through the South in a car from New Jersey, and for a while we were followed because they thought we might have been outside agitators who were going to register people to vote or something. And we were just a family coming back from the square dance convention. But for some reason, and I do not know the background, that was the year that a group of of African-American dancers from, I believe, the Detroit and or Chicago areas decided to attend the National Convention. <laughs> this could have been very scary yeah. in that atmosphere, yeah, but yeah. they were very smart. Yeah. And I watched them. I was just out of high school mm -hmm. and I watched them. And what they did was they never entered a square uninvited. They started a group. They'd stand on the floor and put up their hand with three fingers up, which means we need three couples, mm -hmm. and let people come to them who would be comfortable dancing with them. Yeah. And they never forced the issue. If three couples needed a fourth and they all said, come and join us, they would fill that square. And there was not a single problem at that convention. And the, you know, the African-American dancers have been part of part of the, the activity since then. I'm going to let y'all go. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Huh. I mean, walking away from that uh, visit, I, what did you make of all that, of the convention, the whole thing? Well, you know, it was a great experience. I felt very welcomed and everyone was really, really sweet. Um, but, you know, it still kind of felt like it was welcome and come do our thing, you know? Yeah. And I have talked to some Black square dancers and LGBTQ square dancers who, you know, didn't want to go on the record with me. But they said, you know, we don't really feel comfortable coming to this convention every year. And um, all that to just say that, you know, it just doesn't really necessarily feel like it could be like my dance. It's still kind of their dance. Yeah. But... I talked to Phil Jamison after I went to the convention. And Phil, if you remember, he was the guy who told us about Cecil Sharp and the mountains and kind of the traditional story about where square dancing comes from. Ask, you know, and during that conversation, he really kind of upended this whole idea of my dance or our dance and their dance. I spent about 10 years of my life as a professional musician and dancer. So Phil was actually a musician and dancer for a long time, and he was actually part of this clog group called... The Greengrass Cloggers. I was on the road for seven years with that group, and we traveled all over the U.S. and overseas as well. And he says a lot of times after these performances, people would come up and ask him, you know... Where did these dances, these, these folk dances, like the square dance, where did it come from? And I, so I'd, I'd go and look in books and try to, try to read up on the history of these dances. And all the books that were out there, square dance books, just talked about the British Isles and, the, you know, the, the hardy pioneers coming to the mountains with their dances. And, you know, they would basically tell the same story that he told us, you know, Cecil Sharp and how this dance is a combination of French and English and Irish dances. 
But at a certain point, Phil says, It just didn't seem right to me because the population of Appalachia uh, has never been pure white Anglo-Saxon. It's always been a mix. Of course, there were Native American people there to begin with, but there, there were enslaved people with the earliest settlers. And there was slavery throughout the Southern Mountains. And, you know, when you look at the musical traditions, uh, the fiddle is accompanied by the banjo, and that has African roots. And you look at the vocal traditions. When I first come to this country. Uh, yes, people still sing the old British ballads, but they also sing gospel songs. Blues songs, Tin Pan Alley songs, and minstrel songs, all kinds of things. So uh, around 2001, I, I just started digging into it, and I just wanted to get to the bottom of the story and, you know, figure it out. So Phil would end up spending 14 I, I, I years looking at letters and travel narratives, historical accounts, and dance uh, manuals, anything he can get his hands on. And what I discovered was there was an evolution of the dances that occurred during the 19th century, and uh, they're you know, basically a multicultural hybrid that have elements of dances from the British Isles, reels, and there's African-American and Native American influence as well, all in the mix. Oh, well, what, what does he mean? Does he mean? Well, he means that they were all doing these dances, not just white people. This was shared culture back in the day. You'd find African American folks dancing these dances, and white folks dancing them, and Native American folks were dancing them. And things from their own past would creep into this dance. For example, there's this one move in square dancing where you have one dancer in the middle. And some people think this is actually related to something called the ring shout, which is like a traditional dance from West and Central Africa. And. You know, the crazy thing is that he told me the thing that makes the square dance the square dance. Dance calling itself comes from the black tradition. There's no evidence that that ever happened in the European dances, but there's a lot of call and response in African dances. And the earliest dance callers were all black fiddlers who were playing for dances. Basically, Phil told me that when you were back in Europe, the way you learned these dances is that you had a dancing master, you had a dancing school, you go to these schools and you learn all the steps. Yeah. But when you came to America, to colonial America, there weren't as many dancing masters and dancing schools to go yeah. around. And so the way that the fiddlers who were performing at these dances could tell people what the next move was, was to call it. And this was a way for people who didn't go to dancing schools to be able to do the dances. So so you discovered that square dancing is a melting pot of dances. Yes, yeah, square dancing is definitely, uh, you know, so-called melting pot dance. Um, but what what happened in, in by the 20th century is they basically, these traditions became whitewashed. And uh, the black history behind it got got forgotten.
Did anyone at the hearing make the argument that he was making? No. No, this is something that he's kind of um, discovered in the last few years. It is interesting because now you're like, hmm, maybe it should be the national folk dance. But but I don't know. I mean, does that still feel like someone else's dance that you just now have a small like, yeah, I did, I side did, role? I did. I, I still don't think that square dancing should be the national folk dance. <laughs> um, but I, you know, and I told Phil that, like, but I was like, you know, if you told me that, you know, black people had something to do with this dance, that Native Americans had uh, something to do with, like, kind of the development of, of this dance, Um if you told me that, then I would say, oh, so that actually this dance is a lot more American, you know, in that inclusionary way that yeah. we, we would like to think of America as, than I would have thought. And, and maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea. And then he pointed out, well, what about Latino people? What about Asian people? <laughs> and what about, sure. you know, like once again, we're like way too multicultural yeah. a society to like just say. But what if? This thing. Okay. What if you. I'm trying to be as I'm trying to create a scenario that's that that's the most inclusive thing possible. Okay. But it's not gonna. I'm not gonna get there. I'm gonna leave so many people out. But but it's like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, couldn't it couldn't? Isn't there room in square dancing? In other words, for if there's room for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I shouldn't say room. I mean, if there, uh, what's the word? Well, yeah, fine. If there's room for black people, yeah, let's there's just... certainly room for white people. Uh huh. Um, why not create a square dance that's uh that's that's as that's as diverse as America? I mean, I fuck, you look at tap dance at a square dance. I mean, it's just, it's just, you could, all it you is, could, is, is like four people. You can people. tap dance in a square dance. You can clog in a square dance. Why not? You, you, can, see, you can find videos of people clogging in a square formation. Um, you could, uh, I don't know, do modern dance in a square dance. That's a little harder, but maybe. It's a, it's a little harder, but. Ballet? Sure. <laughs> hip-hop dancing? I could see more hip-hop dancing in a square dance. Well, obviously. okay. It was at this point when this conversation started to go somewhere, that we decided, you know what? We should have a live show. Does anyone else have any, like, other ideas about, like, what's a fun group dance that we can all do together? What'd you say? The moonwalk. Okay, all right, all right. Problematic now, but whatever, you know. (laughs) Documentary, but... (laughs) Any others? The Charleston? The twist. So we had done our introductory square dance with everyone, and we told them this history. The what? The butt? Okay. (laughs) But then we heard about this one particular square dance call, and this is the one that's related to the ring shout, which I mentioned earlier. So, Alex, um, let's talk a little bit about the last dancer tonight. Um, so we brought our square dance caller, Alex Kramer, back on stage. But at some point, you're going to use a call that's... Um, what's the call going to be? Oh, right, right, right. So, um... <laughs> Did you forget already? <laughs> so, so the dance is called Birdie in the Cage. Okay. So, so the call is, the first call is put the birdie in the cage. And, um, so then what happens is if you're the birdie at that moment, you just, like, hop on in to this, to the center of the circle and you get to do your special dance. It can be the YMCA, the debut, the, the funky debut. chicken, <laughs> the funky chicken, the floss. You can floss. You can Millie rock. You can kid and play. You can twerk. <laughs> you can twerk. You can nay nay. Um, you can what? Nay nay. Nay nay. Yeah. Dougie. Absolutely. Um, so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a little square dance, and then he's gonna say "Burning the Cage," and then everyone's gonna 
do whatever the F you want. <laughs> hey, show us what you're working with. Okay. And join hands, circle left, circle to your left, round you go. Back to the right, don't take all night. Go into the center with a great big shout. Do it again, do it again. Swing your partner all about. Promenade, promenade, go around the town and you'll wave it upside down. Were you dancing? Yeah, I was trying, I was trying to. Couple ones, have some fun, couple one. Go out to the right circle, left with couple two, birdie in the cage. Couple one, couple two, circle. I remember it was just chaos. <laughs> it was yeah. like crazy chaos. Bird hop out and crow hop in. Because like, he was doing these calls and we were swinging around. And like you kind of want to get your dance going in the middle, but then you don't have enough time, and then you throw off the rhythm, and then suddenly it all falls apart. <laughs> but then he, he'll do a call, and everyone snaps back onto the beat. Circle to the left. Birdie in the cage. Yeah, I was standing off. I had gotten off the stage, and I was standing off to the side, leaning against the wall, and trying to just stay out of people's ways because there was a lot of limbs flailing around. Yeah, there um, was. <laughs> from where I was standing, when people got into the middle... But when the birdie got into the middle of the cage, the birdie was usually just hopping around and jumping <laughs> yeah, up and down. Because <laughs> you didn't have much time. You're just like, I gotta do my thing and then I gotta get out. Circle and around you go. Last chance. Birdie number four. Show us what you're working with. And so, whatever our national dance is, I guess it's just um, people hopping around a lot until, <laughs> <laughs> until it's not their turn to hop around anymore. Now swing your partner all about. Yeah. It was just a hot mess. But it was the happiest hot mess I've been a part of in a long time. <laughs> kind of beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. One more thing. You know, as I was going through all this, I kind of just stumbled into this community of African-American musicians who were really embracing this kind of, this um, old-time music, this folk music, and really reclaiming it. And um, one of those musicians was Jake Blunt, and he actually performed for us at that live event. He is a fiddler. So you're going to perform a song for us. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, it's called Poor Black Sheep, and it comes from a black banjo fiddle duo, Nathan Frazier and Frank Patterson, who were from Nashville, Tennessee, were recorded in, I think, 1946. Uh, And I learned this tune from them via my teacher and friend, Rhiannon Giddens. So um, I thought it'd be a really cool idea if we just, like, played his song. Um, yeah, totally. And say, thank you, Jake. I loved his description. That I keep thinking about when he said, when he plays, it's like his brain moves into his arm. Because mm. I was like, when you hear it, you hear this, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's just all arm.
Well, thank you, Tracy. You're welcome. This episode, of course, was reported by Tracy Hunt and produced by Anna McEwen. And uh, we also had uh, uh, an assist on the sound design mix front from Jeremy Bloom. Also, I just want to say thank you to Lee Ellen Friedland, Bob Dalsimer, Alex Kramer, our caller, our amazing band from the live event, Stephanie Coleman, Courtney Harmon, and Steph Jenkins. And Phil Jamison has a book out called Hoedowns, Reels, and Frolics, Roots and Branches of Southern Appalachian Dance. Um, you should definitely check that out. Thanks. Wow. Oh, and um, one more thing before we go. We did this interview with Phil Jamison, and he talked about Cecil Sharp being in Appalachia and hearing these, like, old English ballads, you know, that came from over there and that ended up right here, you know, in America and just being having his mind blown. And one of the songs that he actually mentions and that we play a little bit in the piece is Barbara Allen. Mm. And I actually found, a, like, Dolly sang Barbara Allen. She actually recorded it. Yeah, she uh, she sang it to me in one of our interviews. <laughs> she sang Barbara Allen to you? Yeah. This is one of the amazing things about as, uh, interviewing Dolly is that suddenly she just starts singing. <laughs> like, she sang her way through the entire interview. Like, I, I didn't like even get a question. singing is talking for her, I oh, think. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And, she, yeah, she sang that and all of these old ballads that she, that were sang to her mm-hmm. um, when she was just a little girl in uh, in Sevierville. So, yeah, I think actually that's going to be in our next episode, in episode three of the Dolly Parton's America series. Um, you will hear her singing a lot. Okay. Those, those, those old ballads have like 15 verses. Oh, my God, you could sing that thing from morning until lunchtime, and you still wouldn't be done. To play the message, press 2. Hi, Radio Lab. This is Alex Kramer, your Square Dance caller, calling in from sunny Brooklyn, New York. Hi, this is Phil Jamison in Asheville, North Carolina. Radio Lab is created by Jad Albumrod with Robert Krolwich and produced by Soren Wheeler. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, David Devil, Bethel Hobte, Tracy Hunt, Nora Keller, Matt Kielty, Annie McEwen, Latif Nasser, Sarah Kari, Arian Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Shima Oliai, W. Harry Fortuna, Sarah Sandbach, Melissa O'Donnell, Neil Dinesha, Marian Rano, and Paloma Moreno Jimenez. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. And that's it. Thanks. So promenade right off the floor. That's all there is. There ain't no more. End of message. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.